electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The sell-off, when it might end, and the best way to protect your money right now. We will discuss and debate that with the Investment Committee. A quick note, Fundstrat's Tom Lee will join us at the bottom of the hour as well and give us his take. But joining us for the hour today, Jenny Harrington, Steve Weiss, Kevin O'Leary, John Najarian, the co-founder of MarketRebellion.com. Show you the markets, 12 noon in the East. We went positive, albeit slightly, uh, briefly. And the Dow's now negative by a little more than 300 points. S&P's down by 1%. NASDAQ, so much focus there, one and a quarter percent to the downside. There is the Russell 2000. You did put in new 2022 intraday lows for the NAS, the 100, and the Russell today. And a close eye on yields, too, as always. 308 is the yield on the 10-year. Um, so Weiss, really trying to help people understand, like, where we are and where we might go from here. And if there are any signs that you see that we could stage a turnaround, right? Yesterday, you know, some said that's that's capitulation. That's what we were looking for. You had more than 90 percent down volume, a sign that people were looking for. Sentiment is as negative as sentiment could could be. Cooperman today talking about selling, um, you know, pops in the in the market, selling strength. He said price action's bad. How, how do you see it? Yeah, you know, I don't see a turnaround. I, I think we're overdue for for a short term rally, but but I'm not going to participate in it. Uh, if there are any bell that that rang as uh, as Powell's comments were that bell, it said, OK, trade it and trade it very short term, as I noted on Wednesday. Uh, it lasts for a few hours, as I thought it would. But then it's back to more of the same. Look, the facts are, while sentiment has turned decidedly bearish, uh, it's newly bearish. And it's still couched in saying, well, look, if you take this kind of view, the facts are that we haven't, we've seen the first 50 base points tightening. But the bet, if you're investing in the market, is inflation to come down before the economy really rolls over. And I personally think that's a bad bet to make at this point. So I think inflation is going to stay stubbornly high for reasons that didn't exist in prior inflation cycles, which are the war in Ukraine, which are the supply chain issues that are stubbornly existing still. And sure, you can point to certain data points to say, okay, so inflation's peaked here, as Brad Gerstner did, but overall inflation is still high. So while wages, today was, was an amazing report, wages going up over 5%, but you've got inflation at 8, 8.5%. So you've got that imbalance, mm-hmm. and you still have sticker shock. So I think that the market will is still to be sold on pops, and until everybody's bearish, until everybody hates the market, and until we see the economy start to roll over, I'm just not a buyer. Okay. Um, Kevin O'Leary, you know, Kramer says market's getting oversold. He's been looking for selective, and I use that word selective for a reason, opportunities. He's not sitting there buying hand over fist, obviously. 
Um, but you're buying a lot of stocks, which jump out to me uh, as a statement of where you stand. I'm talking about Chevron and DuPont I do. I, and Cigna yes. and Moderna and United Health. And you bought more Home Depot and Apple and J&J and P&G and Pfizer and Baba and Tencent. Looking to add Facebook to Facebook maybe today. Why now? Um, all of those companies, Judge, that you've just listed do not require financing. They have very strong cash flows. They have very strong balance sheets. They distribute profits to shareholders. The only difference between six months ago, four months ago, three months ago, two weeks ago, and today is their PEs have been crushed because of the change in the sentiment in the market. And I understand that. But at the same time, I have a choice to make as an investor. I can go to cash. My cash desk can pay me 44 basis points in an 8% inflationary environment. That means I'm basically losing seven and a half plus percent. Gone, vaporized, history. No value there, not gonna do that. Do I wanna buy the 10-year bond at 3%? No, horrible value. Until that has a five handle on it, it's not gonna be my portfolio. Can I find stocks like the ones you just listed that are actually have pricing power, that are must have items for people, regardless of the, the price of the S&P? that are going to continue to sell those goods and services ongoing, even into an inflationary time, irrelevant to what happens with Russia and Ukraine, all those companies are going to perform in all of those metrics. The only question we have to decide is what price are we willing to pay for them? And starting in the last few days, I'm willing to pay the price. Now, I don't know if I'm catching the bottom, but I know these companies are not going out of business with anything to do with Powell, or anything else in the economy, or Ukraine, or Russia, or anything anywhere else in the world. These are mega cap, really high grade balance sheets with pricing power. I'm going to eat some more of them very shortly. Yeah. Uh, Jenny, that's the great unknown. Price. Kevin hits the nail on the head. What price are you willing to pay for a stock you love? Kevin gave you the reasons why he's willing to pay the price for the stocks he likes. And I read down the list the Chevrons, DuPont, Cygnus, Moderna, United Health, all new. Additions, Depot and Apple and P&G, J&J, Pfizer, Baba, Tencent, et cetera. What about you? I mean, that's the great question right now. Is today the right price? Is next week going to be the right price? How do you see it? Well, today, as we speak, I've got two new buys um, teed up and ready to be purchased. Hopefully, as soon as the show's over, I'll start to work on them. And for those two companies, out of the 8,000 that are available to me, the price is right today. Maybe next week the price will be right on other companies. And that's why I went into this year saying it is going to be about hard work. You don't buy today. You don't buy yesterday broadly. You choose individual. You don't just broadly do anything. It's hard work and you need to dig in and you need to talk to the companies and understand what's going on and read the annual reports and read the quarterly reports and listen to the calls. That's long, boring, tedious work. But if you do it, then you'll find out of the, say, 300 companies on your screen that make sense for you because they have a three and a half percent yield or better. Maybe there's 30 that you look at. Of the 30, maybe there's two or three that you can actually buy. But that's hard work to get there. And so I don't think you, you know, just broadly buy today, but you can buy two. Last week I bought two, which I think we'll talk about um, later in the show. And, you know, those two were cheap last week. Actually, they're not quite as cheap this week. So you, it, I think it's a hard question to ask when we have TV and we have limited time because there's a lot of nuance to it. Um, 
I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't just buy the SPY, but I'm totally comfortable owning the 33 stocks in my portfolio. I understand. I understand. I, I don't know that we have a bottom. Completely reasonable yeah. um, answer. Dr. J, I've got the VIX at 32. Uh, 35 has been the ceiling mm -hmm. of, of late. Uh, it's told you where sentiment really is. And for a buyer like O'Leary, there is a seller like Dr. J. Um, you've sold most of your stock positions, right? Most people know you as an options player, but you do have stock positions. Mm -hmm. You sold positions in BHP, in Mosaic, in CF Industries, in Amazon, Farfetch, Palo Alto Block, Nutrien, and you're replacing all of those with call spreads. Explain, please. Okay. Um, I collected about $2.5 million worth of uh, uh, cash from selling those positions, Scott. And so that was $2.5 million worth of risk in my mind. Um, I replaced it with a little over $175,000 in option positions between here and June. So the trade-off for those who don't trade uh, options is that I don't have unlimited amount of time. I only have basically um, a month and a half for, uh, to participate in the market, at which time I have to decide, do I continue with these positions or do I go back into stocks, many of those stocks? Because I am a big believer, as you've heard over and over again, Scott, in energy and those fertilizer or nutrient stocks. I think both of them go higher for years. And I think energy goes much higher when China comes back online. So when I get out of those stocks, it's not that I just don't believe. I just didn't want as much risk. And so I say, OK, I'll put 175000 in risk. The trade-off is just those whatever, 40 days is all I have for that. And then I have to make a decision, roll out or just exit. So um, I noted today, Scott, that we got up to the highest level in the VIX. You quoted it, 3532 or something like that, was the highest level since January of 2021 that we've seen. Um, the VIXN, VXN, for the NASDAQ uh, also traded up pretty high today. It peaked at 41. Um, both of these are pretty extraordinary highs. So that plays into the idea that perhaps Kevin, Jenny, um, Steve might find some sort of a tradable bottom in the not too distant future. My worry, Scott, was that, um, as I said last night with you, if we don't hold 4,100, which we didn't, we blew through it today, um, could 3,850-ish be the next stopping point? That's why I chose to take many of those stocks off and put them into options, mm. but still have Apple, still have Microsoft, and probably five other stocks that I own. The rest of it is all in options. Speaking of you know, levels to keep an eye on as Doc talks about 3850. Morgan Stanley's Mike Wilson is out with a new note today who talks about um, price action and the fundamental data uh, is increasingly pointing towards the next stage of the bear market, as, as he calls it. S&P 500 has a minimum downside to 3800 in the near term, according to Mike Wilson, possibly as low as 3460. Uh, that would be the 200 week moving average. Uh, I should also let you know that Mike's going to be with us in overtime tonight at four o'clock. So you can you can hear directly from him and we'll test him on that 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 narrative that he has um, to see, you know, if it's likely that we go there. Um, maybe not, because not everybody is as negative as Mike Wilson is. Um, that's clear. And you can look mm -hmm. and some do at the amount of negative sentiment. Feels like everybody's so negative and suggest, well, that's an indicator <laughs> that maybe the market is about to turn even 
for the short term for a, for a near term kind of rally. I want you to listen to what Adam Parker of Trivariate told me in overtime last night. We can kick it on the other side. When I take a step back, uh, I'm more bullish now than I was last week because the market's down meaningfully. And I think the earnings uh, look pretty good to me. The consumer looks like it's holding up for most companies that reported. We heard that from all the banks, and we've seen that from a lot of the consumer companies in the major staples. So I'm sort of thinking, what do I think today versus yesterday versus last week? I like the stock market a little bit more. Okay. Steve Weiss, how about that view? I mean, the market's down a lot, right, to, to, as Parker says. And to his point, earnings estimates are, are still going up. Now, the obvious hit on that is to say, well, the, the analysts don't know what they're talking about, that expectations are too high <laughs> and that they need to come down. And I'm sure that's where you were going to say or, or you were you say something to, to that effect. But what about that view? Right. At some point, the stock market has to stop going down and it starts to look attractive. And Parker's trying to find the opportunities within uh, the selling that we've seen financials and energy value consumer discretionary. What do you make of that? Well, I wasn't going to say it because it was too obvious for me to say. I mean, the analysts are notoriously late for getting there. But here's what I'd say. I mean, that sort of puts the hole in everybody's bearish. We have Parker, who's, who's bullish. Uh, we have Kevin, who is incredibly bullish. I don't remember him buying that many stocks. And for somebody who's so notoriously cheap to step in here um, and has been stepping in, I believe, off and on, uh, he's bullish. Uh, Doc's finding another way to be bullish. No, but you understand. You, you understand. That, I, I, I mean, understand. The, the environment well, is pretty darn negative, right? I mean, it's if, it, it's, it is it, negative, yeah. but but sometimes it's right, and it's been right. And look, Mike Wilson has been, and I've been his only defender most of the way down. But I think that is the view. The economy. Look, the consumer is clearly strong. Except we're seeing it. We're seeing Under Armour building massive inventory. Right. We're seeing what happened with uh, with Peloton. Mm -hmm. You could say that's a play on you know on on COVID, but the fact is their sales have slowed. You know, Amazon showing. You could say it's too much to build, but it's slowed. The consumer will get there. Does it make any sense whatsoever? That for a country that lives, 60 to 70% lives paycheck to paycheck, are seeing ridiculously inflationary numbers, is still going to be what we're going to pin our bullish hopes on. Now, let me give one caveat here. I was bearish in 08, and I made money. But I missed a major part of the up cycle in 09, and it took me actually a year to get invested again because I was so bearish. So I'm going to be the last one probably mm -hmm. that identifies a sustainable move higher. I'll be left out of it because to be this bearish, your mind has to be so set. So maybe I'm the wrong one to ask. I don't know. But I still go back to what I say all the time. I'd rather miss the first 10% upside than catch the next 10% or 20% downside. I think multiples still inflated. And by the way, Scott, I'm doing a lot of work in the private markets, as you know. Mm -hmm. Valuations haven't come down yet. There's a six to eight month lag. And some of those same investors play in the public markets as I do. So they're still going to well, be under the anvil of they've, gloom. They've come down. It's just the founders don't know it yet, and they don't want to admit well, exactly. it. exactly. But they've, they've Good come point. down. And, and, and the people right. who know, know. Okay? Um, no, you're right about that, but it's not reflecting the pricing yet. Okay, you're that, right. that's fair. And your honesty is, is, is um, welcome. I mean, nobody knows the exact levels of, of what's going to happen and when. But, you know, you try and play the probabilities as you best can based on what you see right in front of you, Jenny. Um, 
I go back to Kramer, you know, buy things that do stuff, that make things, and return capital to their shareholders in the form of what you have in your wheelhouse, dividends. Okay, so if, if that's what we're going to talk about, then Compass Diversified Trust, which reported earnings last night, is a perfect example. This is a company that has consumer businesses and industrial businesses. They make things like um, Liberty Safe and Sterno, you know, those little canisters of fuel that you use when you're having a dinner party. Mm -hmm. They reported last night, they, they beat earnings, they raised their guidance, That you know, they're trading at a I don't know, even maybe 15 times earnings multiple. They have a 4.7% dividend yield. Yeah, you know, if you want to listen to Kramer, that's exactly the kind of company that you want to buy. And so that kind of falls into the Adam Parker school of thought, which is earnings actually can go up. You know, like I said, they raised guidance by 8.5%. So you have that on the one hand, and I'm in the Adam Parker Kramer camp on that. Just getting back to Mike Wilson for a second, I can also justify that by thinking about inflation and the adjusted multiple on the market overall. So you have these two forces really battling it out this year. Yeah. I think I think there's so much nuance in it, and you can have a Wilson being correct, Kramer being correct, and Adam Parker being correct. And as we talk about all the time, it depends on what their timeframes are. So Mike Wilson might be right in the relatively short term. And Adam and Jim and I might be right in the long term on individual companies actually producing decent earnings. Because it, it's why it's so hard, as, as Weiss so honestly says. Maybe I'm the wrong guy to mm -hmm. ask when, when things are going to turn. Um, you know, I don't always pick the right spots. It took me a long time after I was bearish in 08 to get more positive in 09 and, and missed a lot. Um, you know, there are other calls that, ah. you know, the, the worst, at least for now, is behind us, Dr. J., Listen to what Eric Johnston of, of mm -hmm. Cantor told me in overtime. And, and the reason I bring this up is because, remember, on Monday, he's the one who said, look, you're going to get an 8 to 10 percent rally, you know, ballpark area, in the S&P 500 in May. The whole thing's going to happen in May. And then over the longer term, sure, I don't know what's going to happen. We're going to go into a recession. You know, maybe so. But at least in the near term, there are opportunities to take advantage of dislocations uh, in the market. But you you mm -hmm. believe in that? Uh, are you? I, I thought you were going to play that uh, with Eric. I'm sorry. Oh, we know Scott. we we could play um, it. We yeah, can play, I, you know what? Let's do that. Thank you. Let's play it, and we'll we'll talk on the other side. <laughs> People are nervous about the Fed speakers, and then we have CPI on Wednesday. After that, the catalyst calendar after next Wednesday for the rest of May is very light. Earnings season's over. There's very little macro, and I think that could be a time where you have a dullish market volatility comes down and based on positioning that could allow for this rally that that I'm speaking about. All right, Dr. J. Yeah. And I reached out to Eric because uh, I was on right after him on mm. your show, that great show overtime last night, Scott. And I said how right he was um, and congratulated him on that. I think that's exactly right. And if indeed that plays out, Scott, just a quick one to your audience. If I'm selling a call two days ago that I got $4 for and the volatility goes up as much as it has gone up during this drop, now I'm getting $6.50 for that same call. That provides additional protection and um, it gives me obviously more cash flow. So if indeed it plays out the way that Eric outlined, then I think this, the positions I've put on are gold because a shrinkage in that volatility and any kind of stabilization in the market 
means that I'm probably going to turn a lot of these option positions that I just put on into 50, 75, maybe even 100% winners without a huge V-shaped bottom, just with the volatility coming out and the stock stabilizing. So um, again, I think Eric's insight was very strong on that. And I agree with the uh, outlook completely. Yeah. Look, you could point to buyback windows opening as providing some sort of stability. Um, surprisingly, money, and I use the word surprisingly just because, you know, with, with so much pain being felt in the market, the fact that a lot of money continues to go into the ARC funds, right, it speaks maybe uh, where retail still is, as Joe Fami tweets, and I think is, is so correct in what he says. Uh, retail is not bearish or negative yet. Uh, they're still holding on to the pandemic stocks down 50 to 80 percent, likely not selling anytime soon and very little put buying. It's going to take time to unwind the psychology that was created over the past few years. I think it's a smart thought. Let's do this and let's take a break and then let's kick that around on the other side. That's really the state of the retail psyche right now. Witnessing all of this, trying to give them some advice on what to think in all of this from people who have been through these cycles before, like all of you. Plus, Jenny is making new moves in the market. We're going to tell you about that, too, when we come back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. All right, there's your market picture right now. It's 1223 or so East Coast. Uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average uh, has been negative for most of the session. Really had a brief moment of green on the screen, but it really was brief. It's down a half a percent right now. 32,852, there's 4130, we'll call it, on the S&P 500. You did put a new 2022 intraday low for the NASDAQ a little bit earlier today, broke below 12.2. You also had the 100 for the NAS and the Russell set new intraday lows for the year as well. 308 is the yield on the 10 year, and I just keep repeating that because it's so important and relevant to where stocks have traded. So I want to get back to this conversation about retail, um, Kevin O'Leary. And and I want to do it through the lens of of ARC because ARC saw the biggest cash inflow in in a year um, yesterday. 366.7 million on, uh, that was on Tuesday, excuse me. That was the biggest inflow in a year. So on on Tuesday, my my correction. Um, And it's it's stunning, right? And 
and, and I point to some of the stocks that you own, not necessarily all in the ARC complex, but sort of breathe the same air, if you will, the Shopify's, the Pinduoduo's, and, and the like. These e-commerce stocks, high growth, high valuation, that have gotten pummeled uh, this week that are down 10% for Shop, 10% for uh, Pinduoduo, and uh, Baba's down 5.5%. But how do, you, how do you speak to that? So I'm very familiar with, with Woods' uh, index, and OGIG is the one I use that has the names you just talked about inside of it. The difference being she's very heavily concentrated in a few names. We can't do that in our index. We have to keep a max at 6%. But here's the underlying issue for everybody. And you kind of nailed it there, Judge. These companies' growths, quarter over quarter, the growth rate has not slowed. What's changed is the PEs have been cut from 50 to 80%. The price earnings ratios have been slashed, anticipating a slowness of growth which has not yet manifested itself anywhere. Now, Netflix is different, obviously. The streamers are getting clobbered in the media circus because of the compression of competition. I get that. But these companies that are servicing e-commerce around the world have not stopped growing. And here's some other data that's very perplexing. It goes to what Steve was talking about on private pricing earlier. I have a very large portfolio of companies across almost every geography, every state, in all kinds of different businesses, commercial kitchens, insecticides, wireless charging, gym equipment manufacturing, greeting cards. We are having our best free cash flow quarter ever, ever. We are on fire. There is no evidence of anything slowing down. The consumer is flush. Now, I, not, I like to think that everybody's smart enough to know when to pull the plug because we're going into a wicked recession. There is no evidence of that anywhere. There's a Fed, there's jawboning, there's a war in Europe. I get all that stuff, but the American consumer is on fire right now, like I have never seen before. Instead of making 15% free cash, free tax, we're gonna make 17 and a half this quarter. That's unprecedented, that's a 20% increase. So let's get really depressed, I'm okay with that. Let's get everybody thinking we're all going to zero and the world is over, I like that. That's a buying opportunity. I like it when people tell me it's all over but see, or it's uninvestable. That's the time to dig in. And I'm okay. telling you right now, there's no recession this year. Zero probability in my book. Okay. Now, I'm not going to argue with you that, that the stocks that you mentioned and others that we could put in that basket uh, are growing. Obviously, they're, they're growing and their growth may not be slowing at all. But what's changed is the willingness to pay for that growth at any price. And that's what we're, that's where we were. We're not there anymore. So it's reset, Kevin, expectations for that growth and the willingness of what price that you're willing to pay for it and the appetite's just not there. That's what's changed the game, right? That's, what, judge, that's what's judge, caused multiples you, to come down. If you want 20% growth stocks in your portfolio, you just got an opportunity to buy them 80% off retail. That's basically what's happened. Now, if you don't believe in growth anymore and you think technology is never going to grow again and all these companies are going to zero, like some kind of dot-com bubble burst, that's not what's happening here. These companies have strong balance sheets, tremendous cash flows, and they're still growing 20, 30, 40%. They have been slashed. The greatest example of all of it is, is Meta, Facebook. Their cash flows haven't changed at all. It's the perception that they may change one day, and I see no evidence of that in this quarter or next quarter. That stock is on, in, on sale. It's been crushed in half. So it's fair for you to say that. But at some point, if you want growth, any growth, where are you going to go? 
These are the companies that are growing and they've just offered you 20% off retail to 80% off retail. Now, I know people don't like to buy on the slide, but you can't pick the bottom. I'm willing to go in and I, until I see my tear sheets every Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock on those private companies, sales and free cash flow, not an iota of slowdown, nothing, best quarter ever. Go solve for that. Weiss, I want you to respond to that. I mean, I, I think there are some untruths there. How would you say Facebook hasn't slowed at all? They've been decimated by Apple's policies. It has slowed, period. Not only has it slowed, they're in investment mode. So there'll be less in cash flows for the investor. Look, the math just doesn't add up. The consumer was flush, yes. The consumer's no longer as flush. They don't have that expendable income. I said they live from week to week, paycheck to paycheck. Those paychecks may have gotten a little bigger recently, but the costs have gotten much bigger, number one. Number two, you, you got to look, it depends what lens you look at the market. I look from a holistic lens. And like you, Judge, I see rates going higher, which means that multiples go lower. That's been true since the caveman was banging out that round wheel. And that's going to continue to happen. Look at, look at GXO. GXO blew out the numbers yesterday. Top line, bottom line. Growing like a weed. They beat and they raised. And where's the stock? It was the only green stock in my portfolio yesterday. And now the stock's down 5%. It's down from 100. It just doesn't matter. You're in a bear market. The market's readjusting what they pay for things. And that's going to continue. And yes, you've still got those lemmings putting in money with Kathy Woods, not realizing that, hey, 50 times sales, yeah, it's down from 100 times sales, but maybe it should be at 20 times sales. So let's get realistic and stop picking, you know, cherry-picking data points, by the way, that aren't accurate. Pinduoduo, Duo, they've slowed. They're still growing, but they've slowed. And guess what? Do you want to own a company that's going to be delisted in another year, year and a half? Not me. Jenny, why don't you make the last comment here, then we'll take a break. I think it's really dangerous to say that you get to buy these things at 80 to 20% off retail because that would presume that where they used to trade is where they can trade again. So if you think that Zoom made sense trading at 578, $578, now it's at 100, if you're saying, oh, well, it's 90% off retail, that presumes it goes back to 600. These companies are never going back to what they, what they were before. And it reminds me of a scene in The Big Short where Dick Full doesn't sell Lehman Brothers to Warren Buffett because he says, oh, the shares used to trade at 60. No, your previous playbook is over. Listen to what Steve is saying. Get into new companies. You're not going to make your money back in Zoom, but you might do well in a GXO. So you have to change the playbook. And I think that's the message for the retail investors out there. Don't think that you need to make it back in what you lost it in. Change the playbook so that you can actually make it back. All right. Hey, right. Scott, just one comment. Yeah, if real quick, only did, real um, quick, please. If we only did one minute of air time today, Jenny's comment would be it. Because right. I think that says it all perfectly. Thanks, right. Steve. That's why I was going to take it right <laughs> to break, because I was like, mic drop, let's take a break. But I'm, I'm glad you said that. And, uh, Thanks, and so guys. is Jenny. All right, we'll take a quick <laughs> break. Up next, Jenny has some new moves that we need to tell you about. Weiss is selling one of his positions that I didn't tell you about yet either. We're back in two minutes. Dow's down 184. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. 
crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Good day, everyone. I'm Tyler Matheson, and here's our CNBC News update at this hour. President Biden in the air right now, flying to Ohio, where he will announce uh, commitments from some big companies to use more parts made by U.S. manufacturers using 3D printing technology. Before he left, the White House also announced Biden will join other G7 leaders on Sunday for a call with Ukrainian President Zelensky. Jill Biden also on the move, arriving in Romania today. It's the start of a four-day trip that will also take her to Slovakia. On Sunday, she's scheduled to visit a checkpoint on that country's border with Ukraine, where refugees are given assistance before they move on to profit processing centers. And Prince Harry and his wife Meghan will be flying to London, along with their children, to attend Jubilee celebrations next month, marking Queen Elizabeth's 70 years on the U.K. throne. But as non-working members of the royal family, they won't appear on the Buckingham Palace balcony with the Queen. Also excluded from the iconic scene, Prince Andrew, who stepped down from official duties after settling his sexual assault case in the U.S. Scott, back to you. Tyler, appreciate that. Thank you, Tyler Matheson. All right, the investment committee, as I said, making some moves that we need to discuss. And Jenny, I begin with you. Uh, you added Devon Energy, 5.4% yield. And our dog, AMBP, 5.5% yield. Devin, you know, Kramer's talked about Devin. Cooperman's talked about Devin. And now you're going to talk about it for us. Right. So I, what I think is most interesting about these two buys is they were made last week. They were researched well, well, well in advance. And I was waiting patiently for the right time to buy when the share prices came down. Devin is up 160% over the last year. Arda is down 30%. So as we're thinking about how do you buy this year, it doesn't matter if it's up or down. What matters is where you are at this point in time. Devin's really interesting. As I was getting deeper and deeper into it, I realized that the EMP companies are basically pricing in like maybe $65, $75 oil. And so as long as oil stays in this elevated range, they're minting cash. Devin in particular has a huge focus on returning cash to shareholders. And if you listen to their earnings calls and their presentations, they repeat over and over what a big priority that is. They know that the ESG pressures are going to put long-term caps on, on how much they can actually produce for the very long term. So they're making what they can now and they're paying it out to shareholders. Also, it's, tr it's not expensive, even though it's trading up 160% over the last year. Even though it's up 10% or more from where I bought it last week, I think you can still buy it here. I think they're going to return a ton of cash flow to you. Arda, which you've probably never heard of, 
is a small aluminum can company. They spun off of Our Dog Group um, last year, and they came. They did that spinoff in a SPAC. So even though this is a company with very little economic sensitivity, I mean, all they do is make aluminum cans, and they're their largest aluminum can maker in the in the world. Um, even though they're boring and eh, they're down 33% because they came out in a SPAC structure. And as we know, everybody turned on SPACs. Anything that is SPAC, SPAC tainted, is just hated. I waited for the earnings call to hear them announce the dividend. So if you look at it and you think I'm wrong, no, they just announced a dividend of 10 cents a share. Next year is what you want to look at for earnings. Next year, they'll make 55 cents a share. Mm -hmm. So the earnings should be covered. We spent a lot of time on the phone with management, and they also have a huge commitment to returning that cash to shareholders. Okay. Um, not boring. Looking at that chart, it's up better <laughs> than 6%. I don't know if you noticed that because you're looking into the camera, but I was looking at the screen. Jenny, thank you. Steve Weiss, there it is. <laughs> Of nearly 6%. Uh, Steve Weiss, you sold Dick Sporting Goods. Now, uh, uh, my, the obvious thing is that you sold it because of Under Armour. Is that right? No, actually, this is one I got lucky on. I, I sold a couple of days ago. Oh, so, okay. Uh, why so did why'd you do it? Unlike Amazon. I did it because the stock kept telling me I was wrong. I was looking to further reduce my exposure, which is now somewhere between 10 and 15% net long. And I round-tripped it. Frankly, it was too frickin' aggravating to look at this stock bleed every day. It's dirt cheap, but I put that together with my view of the consumer and with what Amazon told me in terms of what's happening on the web, even though they're growing there. I just said, you know what? When I go to put money to work in the market, it's going to be a different market, and I'm going to find other stocks that I'd rather buy. So, so that's why I did, I did Dick's. Look, stock got up to 140. In my view, it was cheap at 140, very cheap. But Mark said, we don't give a damn what you think. Here's where it is. So, you know, once it got to around par for like the fifth time, um, I got out. Okay. All right. Good stuff. I appreciate that update. All right. Another market voice about to weigh in. Fundstrat's Tom Lee will join us in two minutes. Christina Partsinevelis is with us now with a look into the ongoing volatility in the NASDAQ. Uh, Christina, I know you've been watching that so closely, and yesterday was, was such a tough day, driven a lot by what I was told was a big unwind of those levered uh, ETFs, right, the triple levered Qs at the NASDAQ. Yes, and I'm gonna, I looked that up for you because I knew you brought it up, and it's a conversation that's happening online right now, though. And luckily for a lot of investors, we're seeing the Nasdaq turn around midday. It's still on pace for its longest weekly losing streak since 2012. So I'm hearing chatter right now about comparing the Nasdaq volume or the volatility, I should say, to the dot-com bubble. Tech stocks we know have declined around 20% since the Nasdaq composite peaked in December 21. And five months after the tech bubble in March 2000, tech declined 18%. So you can see the comparison there. But valuations this time around are nowhere near as expensive as tech was back in March 2000. So today, big tech turning around. But Amazon, well, I want to focus on Amazon for a sec, on pace for the six or its six weekly decline. You can see uh, stock is trending a little bit lower. The biggest laggards, though, across the board are found in cloud like CrowdStrike, Zscaler, and Okta. A bright spot, AMD 
holding on to a gain of more than 12% since Monday, despite the volatility, and on pace for its best week since February. You can see shares are almost 3% higher. Other winners today on the NASDAQ 100 are Monster Beverages on better-than-expected revenue, Walgreens, Datadog, and Charter Communications. Now, Scott, to the point you brought up about levered ETFs. I pulled out some stats. ProShares Triple Q ETF, which is a leveraged product that delivers three times the return of the NASDAQ 100, is still on pace for its fifth straight weekly decline. That's the actual longest streak uh, downward since March 2020. Week to date, we can see it's down about 3% at the moment. And then if we talk about another leverage product, that's the inverse leverage SQs. It's on pace for uh, to snap a four-week win streak. It's longest since May 2021. I know a lot of people are saying that that contributed maybe to some of the downside on the NASDAQ we saw yesterday, yourself included. That said, though, there are obviously continued concerns about rising rates and the potential for downward earnings revisions, both of which are likely to impact these higher valuation names, Scott. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. Um, you know, when you when you decrease your risk and you you do it quickly and in some cases you have to do it, that, that's where you go. You have um, to. Algos, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, Christina, thank you. That's Christina Partsinevelis. Let's bring in Fun Strats Tom Lee now. Get his read on on where we stand where we may go from here. He's on the phone. And Tom, when you were with me the other day on overtime, uh, you were quite honest about, you know, being early or wrong. Uh, you said, I believe I have egg all over my face. And I'm wondering now how you feel, um, whether, you, whether that egg has now turned into a souffle or where you think we're going now based on that pain we all endured yesterday. Yeah. Hi, Scott. Um, thanks for having me. It's been very painful. Uh, and I think it's clear that not only is our equity markets really nervous and edgy, but they're hyper, hypersensitive to inflationary data. And I think, you know, whether it's FOMC meeting or even today's payroll numbers, it's really about getting some comfort that inflation's breaking. And from our perspective, uh, it's been really painful. Um, but, and I don't want to sound like I'm trying to be stubborn. But I just think the risk-reward for equities here has improved this week. And I know it sounds glib to say, well, it's, you know, everything's 5% lower. That's why you like it. But number one, on the FANG trade, I just think that multiples are, are still becoming gifts, especially if we have a soft landing or even a recession, because these companies can grow through a recession. But I think people are overlooking things that are actually forward indicators because today, for instance, uh, the Mannheim used vehicle index came out. It's down to a year-over-year growth rate of only 8%. It was 24% last month. Believe it or not, that in two months might take out half a point out of CPI. So I'm kind of more in the camp now that I think we can get some softer readings on CPI. It's not necessarily... Uh, in the hard data yet, but when it does, I think that's when stocks can really find their footing. Is, is but that yes, all, it's been tough. Is that all we need? I mean, look, you, it's not like you're a, you know, you haven't been a Pollyanna about this either. I mean, you, you said that the first half was going to be treacherous. That, that's the word that you used. And if anything, it's been even more treacherous. And I know you, you expected perhaps that, that it would be. Are, are, do you still stand, though, with your view that stocks are going to have a good second half of the year? knowing what we know about what the Fed is going to do. And might I also add the fact that there's considerable doubt and considerable is a light way of putting it, that Jay Powell and the Fed can actually pull it off. Right? The bond market is suggesting that, you know, move out of the driver's seat, Mr. Chair, 
I'm getting in the driver's seat because you don't know where you're driving this car. Yeah, it's a great point, Scott. Uh, yes, the Fed is only working with blunt instruments, as he says, and the risk is that there's an accident. But the 10-year has been holding at around 3%. Uh, our technician, Mark Newton, thinks that's roughly the high for the year. Keep in mind that when the 10-year's at 3%, I don't think it's demanding to have a 17 PE for the S&P versus a 33 times for the bond market. You know, from 2000 all the way to 2009, the 10-year averaged 5%, and we had an 18 PE for the market. So what has to be calibrated is when investors get comfortable, and I think we're going to get soft, soft readings on CPI. Even today's household employment data was a soft reading. It's half full in my, you know, from my perspective. I think the multiple inequities will actually expand. And from 17, and again, for names like Facebook at 12 times or Google at 13, Xcash or Netflix at 14, they have a chance to even get to a market multiple and they can outperform. So I think there's ballast and underlying valuation support. We know sentiment's awful. We know positioning basically got liquidated. A lot of longs got liquidated and, you know, leveraged longs. And I think now it's just a question of the cadence of data. And if someone thinks the economy is going to get stronger, then there's downside to the market. But I think if things get softer, then I think equities can rally. And again, it's still a treacherous period. It's far worse than I expected. But I'm still sticking with the idea that, you, you know, you, you really are looking at good risk reward today, even though market's been marked down. I appreciate it. Lastly, I mean, I appreciate the, con- the contrition from you. Um, markets are humbling. You know, you find out firsthand, you try and make a call um, and they're humbling. Do you feel before I let you run that that yesterday was the moment, you know, down more than 90 percent down volume uh, and then that follow through, you know, Dow was down 500 or so earlier. It came back. It's, it's still obviously lower. But was that the moment that that we should have been looking for? Well, you know, uh, I, I like the Lowry's data. You know, Lowry's has always had great data on calling bottoms, and their their thing is uh, really a, a crescendo, which is a 90% down day and 90% of points being down. That's what we did get. The key, of course, is now we need to have a reverse that of a, a strong day. And maybe if that comes Monday, Tuesday, then I think investors are going to have to respect a move like that. But, of course, mm. Uh, I don't. I just don't know how we end Friday. Yeah, uh, yeah. Fridays are always tough, uh, obviously, to predict in terms of where people want their positioning to be uh, over the weekend. Tom, I appreciate it so much. Thanks for making time for us. That's Tom Lee on the phone. Up next, Doc has unusual activity. We'll be right back. All right, John. Let's do unusual. What do you see today for us? All right, Scott, you know how much I love energy. Murphy Oil, M-U-R, exploration and production. This one, they're buying the June 45 calls with the stock at uh, 38.40. I'm sorry, 37.40. So that's too far out of the money for me, so I'm going to buy an at-the-money, Scott. And I love the target of 45. I'll keep that in mind. Second one, Lucid, L-C-I-D. Stock's $18.50. They're buying the 27th of May, so not regular May, 27th of May, 22 calls. Uh, they bought a lot of those, 8,500. Last and final, XLK, this is tech. People betting that maybe it has a bit of a comeback after the slam that we've seen. They're buying the May 146 calls with that ETF for tech trading at 141.50, Scott. All right, Doc, thank you very much. Also want to let you know about a special thank event. You. 
this weekend. NBC News presenting Inspiring America, the 2022 Inspiration List. It features interviews and stories of people who make a difference and lead by example. One of those, Olympian Michaela Schifrin. Craig Melvin spoke to her about the resilience that comes from failing. We all experience a lot more failing than we do success or winning. There's just not a lot of winning that goes on in life, but you take the risk of failing because the successful moments are so sweet, they make it worth it. And so you keep getting back up. And I, I suppose that's, it's one of the things that inspires me. And maybe that's what, maybe that's what a lot of people see from my Olympics is um, just, I just didn't want to run away from the disappointment because at the end of the day, you can't. Not the Olympics she was looking for, but she is a champion and certainly inspiring America. The 2022 Inspiration List airs this weekend across the networks of NBC News, including right here on CNBC. Quick break, then final trades. Well, we got a big show, 4 o'clock, in overtime tonight to set you up for the week ahead and take stock of what happened this week. Nancy Davis, Quadratic Capital Management. She's the founder and CIO, an expert in market volatility, will join us. Mike Wilson mentioned him earlier. Morgan Stanley's chief U.S. equity strategist with us as well. Kevin Simpson, get his strategies. Covered calls is where he makes his living. He'll tell you what his latest moves are there and why. Dan Greenhouse will be with us. we got a big show coming up, and I hope you'll join me in just a few hours. I also want to note that just a moment ago when we were in commercial break, the S&P briefly went positive. So the market's come off its lows. Looks like it's positive by just a fraction uh, right now. But energy, utilities, technology, and staples uh, turning green on the session. So playing a little bit of offense, playing a little bit of defense um, as we uh, sit here just a couple minutes before 1 o'clock. Um, all right, let's do final trades. Jenny, why don't you kick us off? Even with the market going green, I'm not too trusting of the market being a lot better for a long time. So I'm hiding out in Lumen, which trades at a huge discount to its private market value. They reported earnings yesterday. They were totally fine, and you've got a 9% dividend yield. Okay. Steve Weiss, to you. Yeah, I actually think there's a, a pretty good chance the market goes green, stays green today. Mm. But I'm staying in cash. I'm not playing it this time around. Okay. All right. Um, the Tom Lee bump, whatever you want to call it. John Nigerian. CNK, Cinemark Holdings, Scott, uh, making a nice turnaround today. 522 theaters. I bought the 15 calls. Okay. And finally, Kevin O'Leary, to you. Chevron, even though all the energy names are being de-indexed by sovereign and pension plans, investors love the cash flow. And this one has a beautiful balance sheet, great place to hide in the weeds while there's volatility. Chevron for cash flow. All right. It's good to see everybody. Uh, Kevin, I appreciate you being with us. I hope you'll join me in a few hours. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.